Maybe it's just something to tempt like better crews. Like, look at the size of this apple barrel. You know, that's the kind of provisions <laughs> we're talking about on this journey. There'll be no weevils in the biscuits with us. It's the most piratey thing I could imagine somebody saying. What are you, some kind of some kind of landlubber? Have some rum, and he goes, Oh yeah, ha ha, rum, yeah, I love rum, yeah. Got a soft spot for Jim, as we know. I believe he's like, well, if Jim says it, it must be true. <laughs> he just looks into Except... those big brown eyes, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Arr, me hearties. Hello and welcome to Shark Liver Oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And this is part two of our read-through of A Treasure Island by... I've played A in front of it then, Treasure Island. I'm so used to <laughs> a, get not... a Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> Tre- Treasure, Island. Treasure Island, Matt. The Treasure Island. Thank you very yes. much. By the one and only Robert Louis Stevenson. So, we are reading from, uh, well, we're basically reading part two. It's so, so great. It's great Treasure Island because it's split into clear parts. <laughs> so, we'll just say we're reading part two this week. So um, Done. Yeah, done. Easy as that. So, we're going from chapter seven to, um, it's chapter 12, which, is, which covers part two. Um, if you're reading along with us, that's the bit we're doing this week. If you're reading along for next week, just read part three. It's a really short part, so it won't take you long. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's dive straight into it. Oh, and of course, before we do, if you want to uh, get in touch with us, any thoughts on Treasure Island or on the podcast, it's uh, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Dave, chapter seven. Chapter seven. I go to the Br- Br- Brizzle. I go to Bristol. <laughs> what, um, no, no, no. You can't just skip past it. Like Jim Hawkins <laughs> narrowly missed the audition to get into Massive Attack. I'm not having that. <laughs> so, uh, so Jim uh, goes to uh, to Bristol because they're getting ready to go on the, the big voyage now. Uh, the Hispaniola is the name of the ship. Um, I love how these things just keep popping up. Things like the Hispaniola and Long John yeah. Silver and all, Pieces of Eight, all this stuff which is now sort of piracy folklore, basically, isn't it? It's the things yeah. you think of when you think pirates. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Although it does make me a little bit terrified to imagine what popular piece of fiction from recent years is going to become the basis for an entire genre of of popular fiction. You know what I mean? Like, like so Treasure Island's good, but it did eventually turn into Pirates of the Caribbean 5 on Stranger Times. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so what, I mean, given these days, what we've got is fucking The Da Vinci Code and Fifty Shades of Grey. What's that going to look like in 150 years, Matt? What are we going to be saddled with in, in the public realm? It doesn't bear thinking about. doesn't bear thinking about, exactly. You, you read my mind. Um, I did. Now, it turns out, so the Hispaniola is the name of the ship. It's being outfitted um, while Jim um, sort of visits home and then makes his way down. Um, <laughs> yeah, very briefly as well. We, I mean, we noted this last week, didn't we? That, like, he's just basically dragooned by these rich and apparently single older men to just sort of hang out at their houses until they're ready to go sailing rather than being sent home to do good work and help his help his recently widowed mother recover from the fact that a pub's been smashed up yeah and 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 they get but then at the end of this i was like i was thinking that all the way through and then the start of this uh, chapter they're like okay so jim can go home 
I was like, oh, good, how very humane. Presumably it's going to take them a good couple of months to fix the boat up. You know, yeah, we'll yeah. be there for a little while, help her get back on her feet, and we leave tomorrow. Like, oh, <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> 20, 12 hours to say, that. Mum, by the way, I'm off to be a pirate, so uh, good luck, I suppose. Have yeah. a good one. But his mum's his mum's reaction's amazing though because you know what does his mum think of this? Well, it turns out um, she's got a load of money to repair the pub from Trelawney and a boy to work for her to replace him. So she's fine with it. She's like, yeah, yeah, you go. <laughs> <laughs> Everything ticking over nicely here. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Trelawney's basically solved the problem in the classic way of wealthy landowners everywhere by just chucking some money at it. Just like I want the boy to stay with me because I need a narrator and I like his thigh. So I'll buy your son from you for some money. I'll give you a boy and some money and we'll call it even. And I'll take him off to the other side of the known universe, probably to be horribly slaughtered. Yeah. Maybe because it's obviously um, the, the, the type of audience this is written for, you know, and it, it's a sort of a, a book for, it was written at the time, a book for like boys, wasn't it? And now I suppose a book for, for adventurous children, I suppose now. Um, yes, yeah. But may, maybe maybe this is a conscious decision on the part of the author, like, oh no, mum being upset that you're leaving, boring, 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 let's not even bother with it, let's just go straight to <laughs> the adventure begins. So, But it, it does, blah, see, it blah, does blah, seem... Blah. Yeah, it does make his mum seem remarkably cold, doesn't it? It's just like, oh yeah, yeah. business transaction, I have a replacement and an extra money, bit of money so I'm up on the deal, so yeah, you, you shoot <laughs> off to wherever the hell it is you're going in the world and uh, if I see you again so much the better I suppose um, yeah. but yeah so or maybe she just never forgiven him for um, for for not moving quickly enough when she fainted and carrying her to safety but um, I don't know yeah, yeah. Um, they, they hear about the Hispaniola being fitted out from a letter from Trelawney uh, speaking of Trelawney after the last time we saw this guy he was you know, giving his solemn promises that not another soul would hear about this um, this trip. And um, from the tone of this letter, it's quite clear that he's been telling basically anyone who will listen <laughs> all about the plan to go and get this treasure. <laughs> such a liability. Yeah, he's such a wanker, isn't he? I just got this this whole thing I hadn't followed before. I think when I read it before, all I was seeing whenever I see Livesey or Trelawney on stage, oh, grown-ups, they must know what they're doing. And now you actually look a bit more closely at how how these guys act. Livesey, Livesey he's you know player loves the game, like he just he's just absolutely crushing it. But Trelawney nowhere useless bastard just <laughs> oh yeah no my, my dear Livesey I'm sure you won't be in any sense or even slightly offended to learn that I've totally disregarded your previous advice nay stern demand that I keep the location of the incredible <laughs> treasure entirely to myself and I have hung around this port full of extremely disreputable characters telling every fucker in exchange for a rum or two so I've got a crew together and they're all entirely trustworthy <laughs> it's just it's it, oh it's it's brilliant. It's type A upper class idiot, and I delight to see it. Yeah, he's um, he's recruited most of his crew already, um, largely down to this guy called Long John Silver. Just sort of wanders up to him while he's standing by the um, marina, and just goes, "Hey, you know, I could be a." on your ship and he takes him on board seems like seems like a good fellow <laughs> he, he's, he's so excited for Lonnie. he says I'm eating like a bull and sleeping like a tree <laughs> I just think it's great <laughs> it's the sort of Victorian gentleman version of float like a butterfly sting like a bee <laughs> eat like a bull sleep like a tree <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> 
<laughs> that's yeah it is it is as well isn't it and he's just so i can't work out if this is sort of touching naivety or astonishingly sort of cack-handed behavior with the lives of you know very many people really traveling around the world because this is the equivalent of mounting a private mission to the moon <laughs> you know it's so far away and so dangerous and 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 the squire just just does not give a shit it's amazing <laughs> yeah um, they, they go down to to meet uh, to, to Bristol. The way they get down there, which is just a little detail, but I always thought it was great. They travel with the mail, so that's the way they got around. You basically um, the way you did sort of long distance transport. You just jump in with the mailbag and you just sort of jump yeah. out of it once you get down to Bristol, which is great. Yeah, um, it's a nice little touch of like grounding you in the in the reality of the Victorian world there, I suppose. Um, yeah. So uh, they get down there. Trelawney meets him. He's dressed as a ship officer, like, <laughs> and uh, the way it's described, <laughs> it, I get the impression that he looks. Like he's put it on because he's like, yeah, now this is what I'm doing. But I think it looks to everybody but himself like he's basically in fancy dress, and just like, <laughs> oh, God, look, he's like this giant man child dressed as a ship officer. Yeah. And it's brilliant as well. You can just imagine all the sailors that he's hiring struggling to keep a straight face as he comes in and you know, yo ho ho me old hearty. Do you like my hat? <laughs> yes, it's lovely. I I'd be delighted if you come with me in order to get some wink definitely not wink wink treasure wink <laughs> from the other side of the world. What say you? Why have you got that handkerchief in your mouth? You know, like just just like Oh, oh, this guy, this this guy, man, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, he sends uh, Jim over to uh, the Spyglass Inn, which is where Long John Silver works. He wants to send a message over to him. So Jim goes over, so we're on to Chapter 8, at the sign of the Spyglass. The Spyglass Inn is an unusual uh, sort of port side pub for this time, in that it actually looks quite nice. It's uh, done up quite <laughs> nicely, you know, <laughs> looks quite new. He goes in and he sees Long John Silver. Long John Silver is described as having a face as big as a ham, which I thought, I just imagine this massive red ham face now, um, <laughs> which is a bit weird, but it's such a strange feature to focus on. But yeah, so he's, he's got a big face, as big as a yeah, ham. But, but, but he's somehow genial with it as well. I don't know about you, but if I saw somebody coming towards me with a head the size of a ham... <laughs> I, I wouldn't be like, oh, what's a charming individual? I would say, he's got a head like a ham. I'm going to find it difficult to carry on a civil conversation here. Yeah, yeah. I also imagine, he's, now he just, he just comes to my mind as just having a giant head. Like, you're in big head mode, whenever you put it on in a computer game, he's just got a giant, <laughs> unwieldy bobby head. I'm not kidding about yeah. But trying still like winking and smiling and trying really hard to be personable. Like, oh gosh, hey, yeah. you've got me there. Yeah, yeah solid. Anyway, I'm coming <laughs> on board your ship, yeah? No, so I'll sleep on the deck because I won't fit below because of the... Don't look at it, head. but it's because of the size of my head. Yeah. So Long John Silver, despite his drawbacks in life, he's got a peg leg, so he, he's got to sort of get around on a crutch. And um, he's got an enormous ham-sized head. Uh, but apart from that, he's, he's really impressive. And he's uh, very charming and genial and pleasant. Um, but one thing that's a bit strange is in in the inn, uh, Jim notices that Black Dog, the guy who turned up to harass Billy Bones back in uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at the Admiral, um, is there. And Jim says, yeah. that's, you know, that's him. And he 
uh, Black Dog runs off and escapes. And um, <laughs> Long John Silver's all like, well, what was he doing here? I'm, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really <laughs> angry that we didn't catch him. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I love it because it is it's it's a Victorian version of I'm shocked shocked I say to hear that there's gambling going on in this establishment <laughs> do you mean to say that somehow there is some sort of apparent connection between the pirates that just robbed you blind and smashed up your house and me <laughs> no no surely not sir everybody the world comes through Bristol sir Lorks <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the way that Long John Silver says it um, is convincing enough to Jim. Jim thinks, you know, that was a bit weird, but, you know, I'm convinced that it was just a coincidence from the way Long John Silver's acted. And uh, Long John Silver walks him back to, um, to, to, meet the, to meet the squire again, to meet Trelawney. Um, mm. We move on to chapter nine, Powder and Arms. Um, so they visit mm. the ship, the Hispaniola. And we meet Arrow, who's the first mate, who's very friendly with Trelawney. And Captain Smollett, who's the ship captain, who is not at all friendly with Trelawney. They, they don't get on. And um, he's really... We have this scene with Captain Smollett and uh, and the other sort of uh, members of sort of Jim's team, if you like. Um, and mm. Smollett's furious because A, he's been kept in the dark about the purpose of the mission. And he appears to be the only person who doesn't know the purpose. All the crew know why they're going there. <laughs> they're all talking about it, so no wonder he's pissed off. Um, yeah. And he, he's not been allowed to choose his own men, or he hasn't been involved, at least, in choosing the men. He doesn't like Arrow. He thinks they're the first mates. He thinks he's useless. And he doesn't trust a lot of the other sailors. Um, yeah. He actually goes as far as to suggest that they stockpile the ammo um, in the stern and all sort of keep together. He basically, the doctor says this, um, he basically s- suggests they plan for a mutiny. And um, and yeah, yeah and, and the, the captain says, oh, you know, this is just precautionary. But it's a, it's a remarkable suggestion to make at the very start of a voyage, isn't it? Absolutely. Like, before you've left, because traditionally in these stories, isn't it the case that everybody sets out with high hopes? Yeah. And then you discover, you know, when you are a solid... 400 miles from the nearest rock that they're all wrong and they'll turn on you uh, there's something a little bit there's actually something a little bit like bad teen horror movie about this isn't there you're sort of yeah. screaming at the pay don't go in there he's behind the door yeah <laughs> don't yeah. set sail they're palpably a bunch of bad slags yeah. <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> yeah but no no go they will it's interesting because obviously by the end of this part, so we can talk about it here, um, it emerge it, it, it transpires that Long John Silver is leading, is, is going to lead a mutiny. But at this stage, we don't know that. And um, yeah. you know, Trelawney is obviously oh everyone no you, the, the captain's talking rubbish. Everyone's trustworthy. They're all you know decent gents. Bloody bloody blah. blah, blah, blah. Um, mm. But so we, but we're, we're not really inclined to take his opinion seriously anyway, are we? But the even the doctor says, "Oh well, it, you know, it's a good job we've got a, at least got a few good men amongst us, like the captain and Long John Silver." So I think that makes us more inclined to think, "Oh, you know, there might be a few badins around, but at least they've got this guy on the side." Um, it's quite funny looking back because as they're moving all the powder 
into the sort of like stockpiling it with them rather than putting it down with the rest of the crew. Long John Silver arrives and he's like, uh, "What what are you doing with all that powder? Why are you? There's no need to move it. We've, we're going to miss the tide if you move the powder." <laughs> 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 it is, isn't it? Oh, are you moving that? I, the the ship's cook, have an opinion <laughs> which you should listen to, for yeah. reasons which are certainly uh, probious. <laughs> yeah, but early stages here. Jim's very much on the side of Long John Silver and the crew and Trelawney. Um, yeah, because the captain says to Jim. Go and help in the kitchens. We're not having any, any favourites here. And Jim's like, oh, no favourites. Captain. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's great, isn't it? I, and I, there is actually a thread in this in how quickly Jim likes and sticks by and sticks up for Long John Silver here. Because hmm. I think... Uh, maybe it's just me, but I think a certain like when you're when you're very young and you're first starting to make your way in the world, like if people are willing to be friendly to you and give you a sense of competence and that sort of charm, it is quite disarming. Mm. And you know you will kind of think of people as being trustworthy when perhaps if you were a contemporary of theirs, they would be clearly extremely untrustworthy. Mm. Um, so I did quite like that. I thought this little. This was a little nugget of what it's like to be adolescent and kind of first working out how to be in the world um, that was actually seemed quite truthful, even if long experience of reading other fiction like this teaches me that if somebody turns up in chapter three with a twinkle in his eye, by the end of chapter seven, he's got you by the short hairs. You know, like (laughs) Jim doesn't know that. And that's quite realistic, I thought. Yeah. And it's further, I suppose that's that's further um, explored a little bit later on in this part where um the the guy who goes over to long john silver's side effectively he's the sort of effectively the second youngest and he's the youngest crew member uh, who yeah, they managed yeah, to convince yeah. so in, in a similar way um so then we move on to chapter 10 the voyage they leave at night a real sense of excitement and the voyage is sort of described very quickly only a couple of pages um i think mm. jim even says i'm not going to waste time talking about the voyage it was relatively <laughs> eventful <laughs> i like that rather than trying to make suspense out of woke up saw an albatross sea blue sky blue went to sleep yeah. uh i, I, I kind of love that he's that dismissive of it yeah um a few things do um are worthy of note though one is this mr arrow the first mate is just as useless as the captain feared <laughs> he's, he's a dreadful drunk he's always seems to be drunk and about halfway through the voyage he just disappears and the captain's like oh well that's probably done his all the service he's probably just fallen overboard great uh saves us putting him in irons i think he says <laughs> <laughs> Health and safety in the workplace has taken a certain number of steps since then, Matt. And I'm, I, are, are, can we say that all of them have been steps forwards? <laughs> uh, so I, talk about, I mean, yeah, so Arrow's disappeared, but someone who is impressive is Long John Silver. He's popular, capable, charming again. He's continuing to be, you know, to all intents and purposes and all appearances, the, the greatest, you know, asset they've got the greatest got- human being ever he's yeah. the perfect boyfriend isn't he he dances beautifully he orders in the appropriate language no matter what restaurant you're in yeah twinkle in his eye always gets you out of the car first yeah entirely suspicious yeah the voyage is taken let's say you know three months 
and he's won Hispaniola Employee of the Month every occasion. He's just he's, he's just up there. His picture's up there behind the captain, you know, Employee of the Month. <laughs> it's Long John Silver again. Um, yeah, he's got so confident with it now. In the last one, he's given the wink and the gun to the camera. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, the last one, as they're doing the presentation, is already on the way to the stage as they start to read out the actual, you know, name of the award. Um, <laughs> started the the faux modest bow of the head, the shake, the kiss to the girl next to him, already on his way up. <laughs> um, one of the ways he's described about how he actually operates on the ship, because he's got this wooden leg, he has all these sort of hoops um around the deck and he basically like leaps from one to the other um with his sort of crutch effectively tied to his belt um which sounds amazing he's he's he's, he is quite a remarkable character he's also got this parrot who is named captain flint who are the more um sort of aware and uh you know um perceptive of readers will realize that's the name of the old captain who um who made this? Who made this treasure map? Um, it's so iffy, isn't it? Yeah, it's, we're go, we're going looking for uh, Hitler's hidden bunker. Here is our secret guide to this: are the entirely trustworthy Mandy Hitler. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, this this parrot, he, uh, I love how Long John Silver just like sort of the story is woven about him. He says he's two hundred years old. This parrot, and he's seen all these things, and he keeps saying pieces <laughs> of eight, and he's got a story around that as well. It's just, it's a great little sort of um, insight into one of the ways that Long John Silver is so charming is that he's a he's a really good storyteller as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Truth. Um, the squire and the cap Trelawney and the captain are continuing to not get on at all. They're basically that relationship is dreadful um, because I think basically the captain is still very, um, you know, worried about a certain number of things here, and Trelawney is just finds it intensely irritating because he thinks everything's great and the guy's just a stick in the mud and a misery, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, as we said. Uh, Jim doesn't like the captain either. So, um, to, to, but towards towards the end of, of this chapter, um, Jim decides <clears throat> towards the end of a day, you know, he fancies getting an apple, and they have these. It's this sounds lovely. Um, they're completely different to any other anything else I've ever read about shipping during this time. They've got an apple barrel um, in the middle of the deck. It's just piled with apples, and you can just go in and get yourself one as and when you like. Yeah. Um, a bit of fresh, they're quite ahead of the time, the Hispaniola, you know, fresh fruit, fruit um, available. I was going to say that, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the sort of pirate equivalent of Dress Down Friday, isn't it? The sort of, the, the workplace that has a beer fridge in the corner and does beer o'clock at 4.30 on a Friday, you know. You know, not not so much that you lose productivity, but still, he's, you know, a good boss, good boss. Yeah. Gives us a free beer every now and then. Yeah, I assume this is some kind of like anti-scurvy measure, because um, obviously... That was uh, in in a, the centuries before this. Um, the big one of the big problems that they had with these long voyages was everyone got really sick from scurvy, and they couldn't work out why. They thought it was like the bad air and stuff like that, and it turned out it was just lack of fresh fruit and vegetables, yeah. um, lack of vitamin C. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That which is why which is why to this day an American abbreviation for the Brits is limeys because mm. they because uh, all the all the all the if all the seamen. Uh, I can't say it and keep a straight face. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, yeah. So um, I, I, I'm curious about this, this kind of uh, this barrel of 
apples though, right? Yeah. That's like the apples are kept in water, right? Mm. For like three months. I mean, after day five, would you want to eat one of those apples? <laughs> well, I was going to say something else about that. Yeah, the apples are kept in water, and Jim goes in, like, climbs into the barrel to get himself an apple, and lands there and says, he lands there, and then he must have fallen asleep because it was so comfortable um, in the apple barrel, which presumably is, like, up to his neck in water. It's like, what's he doing <laughs> sleeping in that? Well, if they're, already, if they're already nearly arrived, then maybe it's nearly all gone, which is how he's kind of down inside it. My question is, how big is the barrel and how small is the boy because like fair enough big crew lots of apples right on but i'm thinking about have you ever seen one of these ships from this sort of era of seafaring like like yeah. a, like a reconstruction or anything like that like they're minuscule they're mm. like they're smaller than a tennis court and they used to hold you know sort of you know this one's 50 people or something mm. so how much space are you going to give up on deck to a barrel big enough to hide a boy inside without anybody <laughs> noticing it. Like, big enough that to get a, an apple out of the bottom, you have to climb inside. Yeah, Maybe, not, maybe not it's just something to tempt, like, better crews. Like, look at the size of this apple barrel, you know. That's the kind of provisions <laughs> we're talking about on this journey. There'll be no weevils in the biscuits with us. We've got a massive Perks. apple barrel. Yeah. Perks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, fair enough, I suppose. So we... He gets comfortable in this apple barrel, falls asleep. I, I think he's bunking off, basically. He's like, oh, I can't be asked with this. I'm having a little nap yeah. in here. Um, and then he's awoken as someone sits next to the apple barrel. He overhears something. <gasps> Chapter 11. What I heard <gasps> in the apple barrel. Oh, what a cliffhanger, Matt. I tell you what. <laughs> R.L. Stein wishes he wrote, he wrote cliffhangers like that in his <laughs> Dan Brown is weeping. So so it's Long John Silver talking to some of the other crew. He's talking about, at first he's just telling the story about how he lost his leg. Apparently he lost his leg in the same battle that Pew lost his eyes. In almost, I think it was the same like cannon shot or something. And, um, wow. He was saved. Close. Yeah. And he was saved by this um, amazing doctor who was later hung as a pirate anyway. Um, yeah. But it, it basically... This is all to say that Long John Silver was one of the key members of Flint's old crew. Um, and a lot of this crew are on board the Hispaniola with him now. So they're going <laughs> back to get the treasure. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, 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 love, I love how incompetent the people running this exhibition expedition need to be in order to have allowed this to happen. You know what I mean? Like he even says it in Livesey's letter in uh, in um, Trelawney's letter back to Livesey, where he goes kind of by good fortune I met a fellow who was totally trustworthy and who helped me find a crew in minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and I just like how how much did you have to go into? I certainly vouch for him, sir. Having already you know torn san juan to pieces with him on three separate occasions <laughs> yeah yeah so so this is them plotting the the mutiny and getting this as we said this young crew member called dick on board uh and getting him square they call it and he is convinced that he wants to join the mutineers israel hans is also one of the mutineers and this is interesting later on he's the boatswain and he wasn't chosen by Long John Silver, so he's another guy who he's just managed to to get on side, it seems. And um, 
he wants to strike now. And Long John Silver says, you know, we've got to wait till the treasure's on board. He says he's seen so many other pirates who have ended up dead because they're too impatient. They strike too soon. And he is, yeah. Long John Silver's so dangerous because he's intelligent and he's going to yeah. wait his moment. He says, basically, let's wait till we're halfway back home with the treasure on board and then we strike because otherwise yeah. we can't. You know, if we strike too soon, we've not got the map. So how are we going to find the treasure? It doesn't take a genius, to be honest, does it? <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, 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 I think this is an interesting one with the sort of intelligence of Long John Silver, and um, and again, I love that it's sort of it's not being left for five sections of the book to you know where we're all waiting for the waiting for the punchline. You know, he's revealed fairly quickly as the scurrilous rogue we all we all clearly know him to be Hmm. um but i love his intelligence and i love how it reflects on that story about the doctor that saved him the the doctor who saved him and who was a great doctor who was then hung for being a pirate and this kind of i don't know maybe i'm reading a bit into this but i feel like you can understand how an intelligent man who wasn't born in a social position where he could make something out of that intelligence honestly would make something out of it dishonestly and then have complete contempt for the kind of mores and rules of a system which kills a really great doctor mm. for being a pirate for operating outside the law. Yeah, uh, that that was uh, that was a really interesting thing to me. This idea of the pirate as somebody who goes, who kind of, kind of says, yeah, but hang on, this isn't fair. You know, pirate pirate kind of. Uh, society being sort of a meritocracy if mm. you're as good as long john silver you're gonna end up running the crew no matter who thinks he's the captain mm. um was quite striking now never mind that pirates are all filthy murdering bastards also <laughs> but i just i found that quite a, just an interesting little wrinkle of kind of you know what happens what you can get away with if you're intelligent and on the other side of the world it was a really really interesting little thing yeah, there is, a, especially in, in the society that it's in this, where it's very rigid and very hard to move up and down through it. Um, the, in that kind of society, there is a certain sort of uh, romance about piracy, isn't there? Um, as you say, yeah. the murdering bastardry aside. And I suppose it, in, <laughs> in, in the similar way that, you know, the, uh, the people, the regulars at the, the pub where Jim used to work, who used to own, mm. um, used to enjoy having that Billy Bones guy there because yeah. there was that certain mystique and romance to, to pirates oh, even, yeah, even, yeah, despite yeah. their reputation. Um, let's just uh, just get back down to earth with just how bloodthirsty pirates are. Long John Silver yeah. saying, you know, there's a discussion about what we're going to do with the, you know, the officers once we mutiny. And he says, you know, if it, if it was the English ways to maroon them, <laughs> stick them on an island and sail away, um, so you don't kill them, yeah. you know, play fair, don't kill them, leave them on an island. Um, the Flint Billy Bones way would be to kill them. And uh, Long John Silver, after a little bit of discussion, says, look, I'm going to go for the Flint Billy Bones kill them option. <laughs> it's cause it's, so there's no danger of them turning up um, yeah. after he's uh, after he returns with the treasure. So, you know. Dead men tell no tales, as they say. Hey. Mm. Oh, brilliant. Just so many things, isn't there, that, that come from this book. The first 50 pages of this book contain more subsequent kind of 
powerful cliches and tropes than almost any other book I can think of in that sort of density. Dead Men Tell No Tales, 15 men on a dead man's chest, man with no leg and a parrot on his shoulder. It's just it's brilliant. All of these all of these things come from this and it's great. And you're right. Like it's it's ruthless bloodthirsty and i love i i mean i know that you have to do it for the fact that the book needs a plot to be explained but again this is not a large ship like you are taking your life in your hands by sitting around and saying to everybody yar lads yar now we will all recap our dastardly plan to one another in complete sentences Safe in the knowledge that though the captain is only 15 feet away, we are on board ship and sound works differently on water. Now, <laughs> who has the dastardly plan book? You have the <laughs> dastardly plan book. Marvelous. You know, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> um, I suppose we, we could imagine that, um, although this is just something that we have in our own heads, that Long John Silver's got some guy keeping an eye on the captain and the you know the officers to make sure they're below decks or something or, or away somewhere. <laughs> waiting outside the door to give some heavy-handed advice from a, an honest old salt <laughs> oh i wouldn't go down that end of the boat this today sir no certainly not oh no uh oh gosh have you seen the stars recently <laughs> look how they shine for you <laughs> yeah um they weren't counting on little jim in the apple barrel <laughs> um something that just Gives a, I thought it gave a really interesting sh- extra bit of shading to Long John Silver is that when he's talking about you know what they're going to do with the crew and with the uh, officers and when he says he wants to kill them, it's he puts it in quite a cold, calculating way in that you know we don't want them showing up later on, um, and it leads you down this path of thinking he's doing it sort of almost like a gangster, strictly business sort of thing, um, <laughs> and then he says, but I want Trelawney for myself. And there's the bloodthirsty bit. He hates. He he still hates this guy. This rube that he's take that he's sort of taking for a ride and is going to yeah. steal his ship from. Um, yeah. He he. I think he hates him. And I I read into this. He he hates kind of what he stands for as well. From his sort of yeah. from his talk about what happened to the doctor. And there's definitely a feeling as sort of us and them. And um, you know this is justified because they are the enemy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there'll be no quarter given, you know, mm. absolutely no idea of mercy or anything like, yeah, leave him for me, I'm going to have him on toast. Mm. It's, it's blood chilling, isn't it? Yeah. There's this terrifying moment where it looks like Jim's going to be found and presumably killed because Long John Silver says, oh, get, get me an apple, I'm hungry. And then luckily he's persuaded to just get a load of rum instead so it turns out they've got they've got a key <laughs> for the great. for the rum so they just sort of sneak <laughs> off and get some whenever they want which just again just shows how lax the um the the discipline is on the ship really and i think this is yeah. this is where the um the problems with the first mate come in where the, because the first mate's a useless drunk he yeah. was the essential bridge between the officers and the crew and yeah, because he yeah. isn't there, that's removed. And you can see this. I think the fact that it's just a little detail, but the fact that they have the keys to the room is um, it just shows how big a chasm there is between the two there. There's no control, really, from the officers yeah. you know, onto the crew. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I tell you what this reminded me of actually was, um, and I mentioned this last time as well, I think it's a great film, um, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, the yeah. uh, Russell Crowe movie, um, <clears throat> where there is, there's a, there's a, a kind of storyline in that about the difference between good and bad kind of petty officers. Like, you know, the, those officers that are supposed to be the bridge between the crew and the officers. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and there's one who's awful. And, it, you know, it, not only does it endanger his life, it leads to you know, the, the ship nearly falls apart. Whereas yeah. you have somebody who's far younger than this officer, but he's far more charismatic and everybody wants to go along with him. And it just works. And it's this, it, it, it's this dead interesting sort of, um, uh, yeah, this, this whole vibe um, is a really interesting thing to see. I also loved the, um, the fact that it's the most piratey thing I could imagine somebody saying. You know, somebody's leaning back against the barrel and goes, Oh, reach in there and get me an apple, will you? And somebody goes, What are you? Some kind of some kind of landlubber? Have some rum and he goes, Oh yeah, ha ha rum, yeah. I love rum, yeah. <laughs> Apples are for losers and landlubbers. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. Being constantly drunk is definitely a way for me to be most at ease on board this tiny shifting largely out of control plank in the middle of the Atlantic. <laughs> now, all this drinking is interrupted by um, a shout, Land ho! As they, um, I assume it's like that, as they spot land, they've arrived at the island. Yeah. So we move on to chapter 12, Council of War. So um, the captain comes out and consults the map with Long John Silver um, to, to, to check out the island. And I love this, as soon as he opens the map... Long John Silver's like scanning it eagerly, like looking for where the cross is or where the treasure is. But they've at least the officers have thought ahead enough to not use that map, so it's it's unmarked. And just for a yeah. split second, um, Long John Silver's disappointed. Then he hides it. Um, <laughs> what was he expecting, though? I mean, I suppose he's he's encountered nothing but a one hundred percent gold star run of absolute incompetence <laughs> yeah. these expeditions at this point so he might, actually I can imagine at this point he's like kind of come on they've hired me they've taken all of my advice they have somehow <laughs> fallen for the twinkle in the eye of a man with an eye patch a three cornered hat one leg and a parrot they've gone for all of that surely surely they've definitely given me an uncensored version of the map bollocks <laughs> yeah i can imagine him sort of as the captain's opening it he's got his, his eyes are wide and he's going surely not surely not oh too good to be true yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah um he, he gets over it quite quickly he even has time to continue his sort of you know i'm your new daddy routine with uh with jim like saying oh you're gonna love the island son and all this you know this is what you can do and that and take it from me as an old uh old seat and and jim's is like yeah yeah whatever jim's actually really worried that he's going to get caught because he's now because he now knows that what long john silver's secret is he thinks it's written all over his face so he's like really nervous as he comes up <laughs> uh, which is yeah. quite good um yeah. jim then goes over to the doctor and basically goes you know look Got some news. It isn't good. We need to get below deck. And the doctor's very, it takes it well. He sort of manages to get this pretense um, to, to, to go below deck. He basically says, right, now I think the, the captain, is it the captain? Um, basically, when he hears it, he says, right, now we're here. You know, all you men yeah. have some room and we're going to have some on our own in the officer's bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Don't worry about because it. Because we're better than you. <laughs> yeah. But you, you know what? It's just seen as, yeah, that's what happens, isn't it? So it goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very um, believable. So they get below deck. So it's Jim Trelawney, the doctor, 
and the captain. And Jim tells his tale and it's instantly believed. Like they all drink to his good health and say, thank God you found out in time. And it feels like on the one hand, especially like I think the captain and maybe to a lesser extent the doctor were already halfway there and suspicious yeah. of something and almost preparing for this. But even Trelawney, he just changes <laughs> like the weather, doesn't he? He's sort of yeah. straight away, he's like, he's like, yeah, Jim, I, I believe you completely. What the hell are we going to do? Rather than what he's been saying all the way along, which is, oh, you know, they're the great bunch of lads, you know, really friendly, can't wait to sort of get on this island with them. It was just interesting that he changed his mind so quickly on the testimony of this teenager. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's got a soft spot for Jim, as we know. So, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, it, isn't so it? Yeah. I, I, I believe he's like, well, if Jim says it, it must be true. My, my, my opinion of his character was formed instantly the moment we met, and I've never had reason to question such opinions in the past. He just looks into Except... those big brown eyes, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. And he just went, oh, Jim, lad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Trelawney, yeah, can't, can't possibly resist the tale of um of beautiful young jim and uh the captain then takes charge he he uh, unsurprisingly because he seems the most capable of them all um even more so than the doctor because this the captain sort of knows what to do in this situation i suppose he says we've got four things to consider here there's a four point plan basically <laughs> he gets the he gets the spreadsheet out gets the charts gets the powerpoint says right we have a four point plan here um the first is They've got to carry on as if everything's normal, keep up this pretense um, to buy themselves some time. The second point is the fact that they can buy themselves some time because, as Long John Silver said, the pirates can't strike until they find the treasure. So that gives them time to prepare. Um, The third point is they've got to work out who's trustworthy. And at first they think, well, we can just separate this by the people who Long John Silver recommended are obviously his guys and the people who we've got independently, we assume are our guys. But the problem with that is this Israel Hans character, the boatswain, who, as we say, was brought on by Trelawney independently of Long John Silver, which suggests that the other members of the crew could have been turned as well. So yeah. I think they work out they, they've only really got seven of the 26 crew that they can rely yeah. on, which aren't, isn't yeah. good odds. No, absolutely not. Not, not Even with the uh, the suffocating power of being upper middle class in Victorian society, I still don't think it's going to work out for them yeah. on those numbers. No, it's over. And his, um, his fourth point of the plan is bide our time and we're going to strike um, unexpectedly, we're going to try. We need to. We need to actually make our move when they'd least expect it. So, yeah. I mean, three of these points um, rest on, you know, keep everything going as normal for a while, um, and keep a secret. And this is resting yeah. on a very shaky plank of Trelawney, who has proven time and again that he can't keep a secret to save his life. So, <laughs> and he literally does have to keep a secret to save his life now. So we'll see how this how this pans out. Um, but the end of this chapter, it just left me sort of rubbing my hands together and just thinking, "Oh, it's oh, on! Yeah. This is it! Here yeah. we go!" Yeah. Yeah. Again, masterful deployment of the cliffhanger, isn't it? Or yeah. the proto cliffhanger or whatever you want to call it. You know, he doesn't do anything cute like kind of and Long John Silver walked in, everybody looked up and gasped. Yeah. You know, he doesn't do any of that. Um, but it is absolutely like he's brought all these elements to a fine tipping point. Again, within what, seventy pages? 
Mm. Lessons here for George R. R. Martin, I feel. <laughs> it is amazing the pace <laughs> at which it moves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. great. So, um, um, so we're yeah, we're already from from a standing start within seventy pages. We're at the island. We've got a mutiny on our hands, which is about to start. We've got a counter mutiny, which is just being put into play, but they need some time to work out how to do it. There's so much tension and so much going on. Um, and we've got these great, I mean, very economically drawn, but really clear characters like Long John Silver, like Trelawney to a lesser extent, the captain. You can really see these characters. And um, I just think, great. Well, we will move on to part three, which is a um, relatively short part, but we'll um, we'll take a, take a sort of, leisurely stroll through that one i think we did this one as a bit of a canter and um and and just see what what happens in the next part i can't wait to find out and uh if if you're reading along with us yep part three next and uh, if you have any thoughts on parts one or two then you just get in touch with uh email address sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com that's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com we're also on twitter at sharkliveroil and you can find us on facebook too well until until part three dave Keep those timbers shivering. <laughs> <laughs>